Welcome to the Bloomberg PL Podcast. I'm Pim Fox, along with my co-host, Lisa Abramowitz. Each day, we bring you the most important, noteworthy, and useful interviews for you and your money, whether you're at the grocery store or the trading floor. Find the Bloomberg PL Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Bloomberg.com. It is the story of the day, and it is the person of the day who knows what to say about this. And that is Shira Ovide, Bloomberg Opinion columnist, who wrote a terrific column about Apple and the surprise cut to their first quarter forecast. Shira, thank you so much for being here with us today. The big question is, is Apple facing something that is unique and surprising in China? Or did something happen to the Chinese economy that took a, ne- a, a sort of spiral downward that is going to affect the broader economy? What happened in two months? Yeah, as, as usual, Lisa, you you ask exactly the right question, for which I do not have exactly the right answer. But Come on. <laughs> I, I agree with you that uh, the, the explanation from Apple needs more explanation, right? So two months ago... Um, when analysts, when Apple held its quarterly earnings call, analysts asked Apple about trends in China because it is no secret that economic growth there has been slowing. Uh, it's no secret that there's been a trade war between the U.S. and China, which may be unsettling consumers in China. Uh, and it's no secret that smartphone buying trends are changing in China as they are in the rest of the world. People are are buying new devices less often. And the only answer that investors seem to get from Tim Cook and other other Apple executives is that things are great in China, right? So the question is, did economic conditions substantially deteriorate in two months in China, which is possible? Uh, Did Apple simply not foresee that all of a sudden all of these trends that were blowing against it in China finally started to show up in results? Um, Was Apple simply not honest with investors about what it saw and hoped things would improve in in sales results in China and it didn't quite get there? I, I don't have an answer to any of these questions, but I agree with you that just blaming an economic growth slowdown in China is insufficient explanation for what is a pretty dramatic uh, deterioration of revenue for the world's most valuable company. Sure. Does Apple need to reevaluate their pricing? Is anyone going to spend a thousand dollars just so that they can get two hundred and fifty-six yeah. gigabytes on an XX when they can buy an XR and be very happy for that upgrade? I I think that is a question that Apple investors should be asking, and uh, among many other hard questions, they should be asking of Apple right now. So it's very clear that. Uh, to Apple's credit, it charged an, an unprecedented price for iPhones, $1,000 and up in the last year plus. And people had been willing to pay that price. And they weren't willing to pay $1,000 and up uh, for other smartphones from Samsung, for example. So there is a built-in loyalty for Apple products, a built-in um, realization or, or belief that those phones offer enough value to, to justify $1,000. But maybe that near-term gain for Apple, the revenue growth it was able to show 
only because it increased prices for iPhones and some other devices, uh, maybe that gave a short-term revenue juice, and that's coming back to haunt Apple now, uh, in, in addition to all these other factors that are weighing on smartphone demand in general. So, Shira, it was a rough period for Apple at the end of last year. Shares down more than 9% after they're reporting this news after hours yesterday. At what point do we say, okay, the worst case scenario is baked in and actually people are getting over their skis here? I Yeah, that's, again, another good question to which I do not have a great answer. Um, yeah, I, I was actually, I wasn't sure whether the decline that we'd seen in Apple shares in the the latter half of 2018 was justified. There were also concerns a year earlier about demand for the iPhone X, right? A similar set of kind of reports out of the supply chain, the demand didn't seem to be that great, and then that didn't, didn't really prove true, right. right? And so I was a little bit skeptical, to be honest with you, uh, about these reports of of unsettled or waning or, or lower than expected demand for the the iPhone models that have been released towards the tail end of 2018. Uh, it looks like those reports in this case were accurate. Um, you know, growth expectations have obviously been recut even before Wednesday, and they're being recut again today. And I, I just don't know where the bottom is. The worry for me is if Apple hasn't been honest with itself or investors about what its business look like, what its business looks like, what smartphone uh, buying trends look like, then I- I'm not sure people can have confidence in estimates from the company or from the sell side analysts. Do you believe that Alexa is also having an effect on Apple because Siri is falling behind in terms of its popularity? Maybe on the margins. Um, maybe on the margins. It, it is definitely a problem that Apple's internet services, and and that includes things like Siri, are not up to par with competitors, including um, Amazon and Google. And that may be hurting sales on the margins. But the the big thing that's weighing on on Apple um, that generates, you know, Apple generates two-thirds of its annual sales from iPhones, and the smartphone market has permanently changed, period. And that's largely what we're seeing happen in China. The people, the the easy growth is gone. There are fewer first-time smartphone buyers out there. People in many established countries are not switching from iPhone to Android or the reverse. Growth is gone. Thank you very much. Shira Ovide, expert when it comes to all things technology for Bloomberg Opinion. We've been getting numbers for U.S. sales out of the big automakers, General Motors and Ford, both reporting uh, sales down. Joining us now to talk about it, Alan Baum, auto analyst and principal at Baum and Associates. General Motors shares in particular taking a big hit down nearly 3%. Uh, Why? Well, the, the drop is is there, and of course, uh, you know, since they've gone to quarterly reporting, the uh, the quarterly report that we're seeing today becomes magnified since uh, it has to uh, stand in for the previous two months. Alex Baum, can you just describe sort of the overall tone of the market for automobiles? What are we looking at? Seventeen million vehicles sold. Over seven. 
19 million for this year, probably about 17.2. Um, I'm I'm looking at 16.8 for next year. Uh, yeah, it's a drop. 17.2 is more or less flat with 2017, but obviously those are very strong numbers. Um, the concern I have going forward, and we're starting to see a little bit of it this year, is that retail sales have slowed down. They're down for the year, even though the uh, the, the totals are flat. Um, and obviously profits are, are stronger on retail sales as opposed to fleets. Um, I'm also concerned uh, uh, with fleet sales uh, being tied to uh, business uh, it, business views and business uh, uh, expectations, and obviously with the markets going all over the place, uh, as well as uh, some real concerns about the coming year uh, in an economic, global economic sense, uh, I, I think that that's going to hurt the fleet sales side. Can you give us a sense, Alan, from your perspective, are auto sales being more hampered by trade wars or just generally because the global economy is slowing so much? Yeah, I, I don't think the trade wars are hitting the consumer at this point. Um, you know, the, the key thing that I, I say all the time, ad nauseum, the people who buy new cars are increasingly well-to-do in the United States. And so these these changes that occur uh, that that could really hurt consumer view, uh, demand and expectations are probably on uh, having more impact, at least in the car market, on middle-income people who, in fact, aren't buying new cars anyway. They're buying the three-year-old lease cars, getting a heck of a deal and a very good vehicle. I'm glad you mentioned leasing because isn't that where it's getting more expensive? Leasing a new car getting more expensive, rising interest rates, and then you've got the lower projected resale values. This makes the automakers actually charge more and cut back on their promotions. It's actually more than that, because what it's also doing, um, we are seeing, obviously, the, the tip to crossovers and, and uh, SUVs and pickups, that's been going on for a while. More of those cars are coming back in trade, and what's happening is simple supply and demand. People want uh, the, 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 the trucks. When they come back, there are more of them, so when you go to the dealer and turn in your th- three- or four- or five-year-old SUV or CUV, uh, everybody else is doing the same thing, and the value is going down. So your trade-in is worth less, two words, than it was before. And as you state, the the lease rates, uh, because of interest rates, and for that matter, because of residual values that are expected going forward, are also, rates are up, values are down, so obviously your cost is higher. And uh, again, if we're talking about upper, uh, middle, and, and, and wealthy people buying those cars, that's not as bad an issue as it might be, but obviously it limits how far uh, down the income stream uh, new car buyers can be. I want to just uh, get your perspective on the electric vehicle market, because the U.S. Uh, federal tax credit fell in half from $7,500 to $3,750. And we saw from Tesla yesterday that they were uh, cutting their prices by $2,000 to offset the, lacks, the lack of a tax credit that some buyers or prospective buyers might get. Are we seeing similar moves by other auto manufacturers in the U.S. or other uh, types of ways to offset the lack of this extra stimulus? 
Well, first of all, that's only affecting Tesla. Um, it's affecting General Motors uh, two quarters later. They hit the, the 200,000 mark uh, last quarter. Uh, but frankly, General Motors is not selling a huge number of EVs. So I, I don't see it as a big deal. And the other automakers uh, have the full 7,500 uh, because they're not even close, with the exception of Nissan, uh, to the 200,000 uh, mark. Um, the, the bigger issue is... Uh, we still aren't seeing the industry, again, with the exception of Tesla, selling these vehicles in high volume. General Motors, the, the Chevy Bolt, is a wonderful vehicle technically. It's not being marketed strongly. In fact, a lot of it's going to fleets uh, for, for testing on autonomy. Um, and so uh, Tesla really does have the electric vehicle market, not to itself, and, and there's a lot of vehicles coming, but clearly they're, 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 they're serious about it because that's all they sell. Uh, so, so they're obviously moving forward, and uh, it, it is an issue, obviously, that uh, they're going to do two things. One, they're going to uh, eventually, sometime in, in this year, we think, get the $35,000 and change car out, the, the short-range vehicle, uh, but as, of course, that, that uh, tax credit is, is declining. Alan, I'm wondering if you could comment on changes in miles per gallon and fuel economy standards and emission standards in the United States and what you believe that will bring in the future. Well, it seems like the uh, the auto, I should say the oil industry is getting its wish. There's been a lot of reporting on that. Uh, the auto industry is getting more than it's bargained for. Uh, and, uh, and what I mean by that is they're getting, uh, the, the, the EPA NHTSA plan is freezing the requirements at 2020 values, which puts the U.S. well out of step with the rest of the world. The obvious issue there is the automakers are global and they can't just say, oh, well, never mind, we'll, we'll just not do that anymore. Uh, they've got to move forward. Um, it, obviously, they, they, they like a little bit of relief. What they don't like, like every other major corporation, is uncertainty, and they're going to get that in spades because obviously there's going to be a lot of legal action uh, once these standards are put into place, we think, in April, uh, the, the, not the least of which, of course, will be the state of California, uh, who is expecting its uh, its waiver to be pulled. Uh, and uh, it, the, the bad news about that is not just uh, what the effect might be, but the timing. Uh, obviously, the legal process will be long, and automakers can't sit on their hands and wait for that. They've got to move forward. Thanks very much for helping us understand the industry. Alan Baum is a principal of Baum & Associates based in West Bloomfield, Michigan, talking about the automobile industry. What should investors do as the S&P 500, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, and the NASDAQ decline? Well, one thing they should do is probably ask Matt Maley. He's the equity strategist for Miller Tayback and Company, and he joins us now from Newton, Mass. Matt Maley, thanks very much for being with us. What do you tell customers and clients who call and say, I bought stock in 2018. Everything I bought is now less expensive. Should I buy more? Well, uh, maybe not every, everything you you had bought because you have a lot of stocks, uh, especially in the FANG stocks, 
that I think will have a tough time bouncing back the same way uh, they did uh, last February when the market bounced back. Uh, so uh, the, the key is don't panic um, and don't just uh, sell stocks willy-nilly. I think things, I think, you know, the bounce we've seen until today, we've seen over the last week or so, uh, will continue for a little bit of a while because I think the market got way washed out. And uh, I think that uh, when the market continues to rally, you might want to, uh, when you go back into the market, go back into more defensive names and especially names that will pay you to wait. In other words, names that pay a decent dividend and the companies that uh, not only pay a good dividend, but have a history of, of increasing their dividend every year over over time. You know, Matt, it does seem like there was a knee-jerk plunge down and that it seemed like it was almost irrational at the end of the year. But perhaps it was a little bit more rational than some had written it off as because, for example, Delta just came out and uh, also cut its revenue forecasts based on disappointing ticket pricing, uh, among other aspects. This follows Apple's cut in its first quarter forecasts. I mean, it seems like there is actually something legitimate here that's going on with respect to a slowdown that we're seeing in the actual numbers. Uh, there's no question. I mean, it's something that I, going into uh, uh, into October when the when the downturn uh, started in the stock market, uh, I've been quite cautious. And, and one of the reasons was, you know, whenever the Fed uh, gets involved in a tightening uh, program, uh, there's always a delay from when they start raising rates uh, to when it finally has an impact on the stock market and, on, on, and then on the economy. Uh, it's usually anywhere from 18 months to two years. So you think this and is the sure- Fed's fault? I'm sorry. Uh, well, say the Fed's fault. I mean, I think it was something the Fed had to do. The Fed, you know, people want to blame the Fed. I mean, we don't have a God-given right to have the stock market go up forever, uh, every single year, forever. Uh, we they they added a lot of uh, liquidity at a time when we needed it to save the, the financial system. At some point, they we all knew at some point they had to withdraw that uh, liquidity, or at least some of it, uh, and uh, that it was going to be painful. I mean, to think that it wouldn't be painful to see how much uh, it helped asset prices go up to remove some of that liquidity is the right thing to do. And I, I point back to what happened with, uh, with uh, Chairman Volcker several decades ago when he, when he made us take our medicine a little bit. And although it was very painful over the near term, it was something that was very, very helpful and allowed the economy to get back and, and, and you know, take the train's wheels off and, and, and be on its own. And that's something we need to do. So uh, even though I think uh, we will, could see some lower lows, as I, as I mentioned, I think on a short-term basis, I think we can see the market rally, especially Apple testing a very important support level here, which should hold. Uh, uh, But still, I think it will be a a tough year this year, but that's okay for the longer term. Um, We can blame the Fed all we want, but in in many ways, I think they're doing what they need to do. A lot of people said they should have done it a lot earlier. Either way, it it needs to be done at some point. We can't have massive liquidity injections forever because then we get another 2008 all over again. Matt Maley, you began by saying don't panic, don't sell willy-nilly, don't buy willy-nilly. So who's doing this willy-nilly selling right now with the S&P 500 down? two and a quarter percent. Who are the sellers? Well, I mean, you know, uh, we don't want to spend too much time uh, blaming the algos, but that certainly has had an impact. Um, But I think it's But who are uh, these mysterious algos that are able to move the market to such a large extent? Well, it's it, it, you know the machine-driven whether whether they be hedge funds, but there are some uh, uh, other uh, uh, investors besides just hedge funds who involve who are engaged in these things. And when the market gets moving in one direction, it, it exacerbates it. Now, the the thing that that it's not just selling though; it's also because of all the uncertainty. And remember back in the beginning of 2016, the market did bottom, but there was really only one uncertainty out there. It was oil. 
oil was crashing, you know, and that was uh, affecting the high yield market. And so you, those two things were getting uh, knocked down and hurting the market. So once oil stabilized and bounced back, uh, it was fine. Right now, we have a lot of other uncertainties. We have, whether it be the Fed, we have trade, we have uh, Brexit, we have, uh, you know, slower growth, et cetera. So many uncertainties out there. So there's a, you know, a, a basically, uh, you have uh, buyers stepping back. So when you have a lack of buyers and you have these algos uh, selling, the, thing, the whole thing gets exacerbated. The people, with all the uncertainty out there, you have a lot of people sitting on their hands, and that's yeah. why I think we had these wild swings. Matt Maley, thank you so much for being with us. Matt Maley, equity strategist for Miller Tabak and Company. It has been called the flash rally. It has been called some weird activity happening in the witching hour and the Asian hours of trading. But what happened with the Japanese yen has caught the attention of FX traders across Wall Street and across the globe. Joining us now to explain everything that we just saw and explain it in a way so that we have perfect clarity is Vince Signorella. He is global macro strategist for Bloomberg. What the heck happened with the yen? Um, I, I hesitate to call it a flash crash, to be honest. That would assume that people were very long dollars and trying to get out of that position. And then as the sort of the bots and the algo trip it, and there's this major sell-off that happens, there were probably, you know, a reasonable amount of long dollar positions. I don't think the market was overbought. It tended to happen in a, a bit of an illiquid market in Tokyo with the markets closed. The the writing kind of was on the wall, but I have to tell you, the, the extent of the move really surprised me. As we handed off into Singapore last night, uh, I did say to my counterpart, you're going to have some fun today and watch the yen after this Apple news, because the yen being the haven currency is, is where traders would want to go. Uh, but it was completely overdone by algos pushing it. And what they do is the program basically is a momentum model. It will continue to push in one direction until it ostensibly reaches some sort of resistance. And then it's literally programmed to just just repeat and rinse and go back the other way. And the interesting thing, actually, from what I've seen in trading this morning is dollar yen's traded sideways all day. We've seen yields continue to extend declines. Uh, equities continue to sell off. All of these things would have suggested the yen should have rallied further in the U.S. markets. And what that's telling me is markets court short and wrong. And this sideways trading would suggest we might see a little bit of a bounce sometime in the next day or so. Vincent, can you just describe for people that may have been asleep while all this happened, what actually went on? Well, it, it, it really is a situation where there, there, are no more, there are no more market makers. I mean, when you, look at the, when you look at the floor of the New York Stock Exchange and you see news reporters, picture the same concept in the FX market. There are no market makers. The, the Volcker rule and uh, government regulation has, has pushed all of those folks out of the business so that when someone comes in and does size and tries to move a bit into the market, there's no one to really, there's no supply to, to smooth that move, so to speak. So it just basically leaps to a point until it hits a pocket of liquidity. Right, but I just want to know what happened. Well, it's, just describe for people that don't know what happened to the value of the yen against the Aussie dollar against the Turkish lira. What happened last night? There was a, a major uh, programs buying yen, selling other currencies, simply as a haven flow to to protect against what looks like a a trade war that could get even worse, given what Apple's earnings were. So if you if if you have somebody like Apple downgrading um, earnings going forward, and you'd expect that that then to um, 
spread across other corporations. It doesn't look good for future equity earnings and, and people are looking for haven flows and they choose the yen because it tends to be a liquid market. Right. Not so liquid last night, but it tends to be a liquid market. And there is a four-day holiday in Japan that could be exacerbating this. Uh, another factor that was blamed was retail investors in Japan. I see you already see the skepticism dripping over your face. I mean, I'm, I'm, but, but basically the idea that retail investors in Japan are still reaching for yield, so they're going into currencies like the Turkish lira and the Aussie dollar, and they're inherently short the yen, and they were caught off sides with the big move on the heels of the Apple announcement. You don't buy it. I don't, because the problem with that is we've already seen a a pretty decent appreciation in the end. So we've gone up to the dollars traded up to sort of 112.13 down to 107 before and then higher up to back 108, 109 before this came back down again. It, that's not a market that uh, where an appetite for a retail investor tends to be. That Those type of swings um, tend to, to, to trip margin calls way sooner than they would in the institutional market or pension funds or or the like. So a retail investor, while they love volatility, um, love volatility in sort of a one direction momentum sense. They can't really handle the up and down movement so much because they get taken out of positions very quickly. So they would have had probably small positions, I would guess, going into this. So the suggestion that they would be the cause is probably not correct. And it has to do with the fact that the yen at one point broke 105. Yeah. Right? I mean, 104.87 against the dollar. That was an early Asian trading. Yeah. And you had a couple of standard deviation move. And again, when the programs see something like that, and it's a big stretch trade, as they try to push it, if they can't push it any further, it just simply reverses. Uh, and, and, you know, when you say retail investors or anyone else, it's really difficult for human beings to get involved in that kind of trade because by the time you're looking at selling near the lows, it's probably already bounced going the other way. So there are times when traders get caught long and even before they can cut the trade at a loss, they're back in profit because it bounced so viciously that it's better lucky than good sometimes. And that helps you if you're going to be called out on a margin. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, right? sometimes sometimes you can't even get out of the trade after you've breached your margin fast enough and it either will continue or come back in your favor. In this case, if down at the lows, it would have come back in your favor. And again, I think the trading sideways movement today is suggestive of um, some other programs uh, being caught short at bad levels who are momentums who tried to push it and, and weren't successful. Well, the yen currently trading at 107.80 against the U.S. dollar. Thanks very much. Vincent Signorella, he is our global macro strategist for Bloomberg News. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg PL podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Pim Fox. I'm on Twitter at Pim Fox. I'm on Twitter at Lisa Abramowitz1. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide on Bloomberg Radio.